Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called The Stoning of Stephen. What's so special about the first Christian martyr? It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 18th, 2014. Back in 1987, I taught for three weeks at the Bangui Evangelical School of Theology in the Central African Republic. The seminary was founded in 1973 to train pastors from over 20 Francophone countries at a graduate level. Bangui holds a place in my heart because it was my first of six trips to Africa. Today, the seminary is closed. The country is forgotten to the world. On the Human Development Index, the CAR ranks 179th out of those 187 countries with data. Ban Ki-moon described the CAR as in free fall. Government doesn't exist. Civil servants don't go to their offices. Taxes aren't collected. The schools are closed. There's no budget, no army, no police force, no parliament, no judges or jails. Over a million people, a quarter of the population, have fled their homes. Both France and the United Nations have warned of the possibility of genocide. One small glimmer of hope is that last January, Catherine Samba Panza was elected as the interim president. Everything we have been through has been the fault of men, said Marie-Louise Yakemba. She heads a civil society organization that brings people together of different faiths. She says, we think that with a woman, there's at least a ray of hope. This week's reading from Acts chapter 7 describes the stoning of Stephen. It's a story of mob violence and religious rage that, singled, that signaled a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. We remember Stephen as the first of countless millions of Christian martyrs. Just a few pages later in Acts 12, King Herod executed James. Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome. Or consider Hebrews 10, 33 and 34. You stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. So began three centuries of persecution. At first they were sporadic and local, as with Nero. The emperor Decius made persecution a state policy. Diocletian unleashed the most severe government terror in March 3003, we have a record of it from Eusebius, the church historian. 
He writes, It was enacted that the meetings of the Christians should be abolished, churches be razed to the ground, that the scriptures be destroyed by fire, and that those holding office be deposed, and they of their household deprived of freedom, if they persisted in their profession of Christianity. Christian martyrs make for a long list down through the centuries. We rightly honor them. The French Revolution de-Christianized France. The Soviet Communists closed 98% of the Orthodox churches, a thousand monasteries, and 60 seminaries. Between 1917 and the start of World War II, 50,000 Orthodox priests were martyred. Communists in China, Cambodia, North Korea, and Cuba have eradicated tens of millions of Christians. So, we remember Stephen as the first Christian martyr. But just what does his story mean for us today? The Greek word martyr means witness. But to what did Stephen bear witness? His death was gruesome and unjust, but in actuality no more so than many millions of other deaths. Christians can't claim any special persecution status. Other religions have experienced similar martyrdoms, indeed sometimes at the hands of Christians. Millions more have been martyred for reasons other than religion for their ethnicity, Jews, Armenians, Tutsis, for economic ideology, farmers and landholders, for social prejudice, intellectuals and artists, for race, American blacks, and gender, women around the world. Christians are just one group among many that honors their martyrs. Very few times, places, or peoples have been spared mass murder. If you can bear to read it, I recommend the book by Daniel Jonathan Goldhagen, Worse Than War, Genocide, Eliminationism, and the Ongoing Assault on Humanity. It was published in 2009. Goldhagen estimates that between 127 and 175 million people were eliminated in just the last century. He says these people came from all regions of the world, from all social, economic, and political groups. The vast majority of these victims were killed in their own countries by their fellow citizens, by willing and non-coerced murderers, and almost never with any substantial dissent. Elimination is thus, in the words of the subtitle of the book, worse than war. These numbers are mind-numbing, and therein lies our challenge. They bring to mind the infamous remark by Stalin in 1947 about the famine in the Ukraine that was killing millions. He said, If only one man dies of hunger, that's a tragedy. 
If millions die, that's only statistics. The martyrdom of Stephen recalls this epigram of Stalin. In fact, Stephen is not the first Christian martyr. Every year after Christmas, the church pivots sharply from joy and celebration to a most unlikely feast day, Herod's slaughter of the innocents. Christians honor the children of Bethlehem as the first martyrs of the gospel. By the late 5th century, the slaughter of the innocents had become the subject of church liturgy, art, and literature. Like the babies of Bethlehem, the martyrdom of Stephen disabuses us of a sentimental gospel. It roots us in the real world of industrial-scale slaughter. The one-man Stephen helps us to remember the individual humanity of the millions of people we might otherwise forget, like those people in the Central African Republic. In her acceptance speech after her election, Samba Panza urged all sides to stop the slaughter. She then said, starting today, I am the president of all Central Africans, without exclusion. With Stephen, we don't invoke any Christian privilege. Stephen expands our vision instead of narrowing it. We choose not to forget or to exclude anyone. We honor the life of every person in all of the world, for God created each one of us in his image. In the language of our Jewish forebears from Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. For books this week, I review a new novel by Alice McDermott. It's called Someone. New York, Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud, 2013, 232 pages. Alice McDermott's <clears throat> first novel in seven years won the National Book Award for Fiction in 2013, as did her 1998 novel, Charming Billing. Three other novels by her were also Pulitzer finalists. The bland and anonymous title of this novel, Someone, points to its universal subject matter, the everyday life of an ordinary person. In this case, one Marie Comfort who narrates her life story from a young schoolgirl until her experiences as an old woman living alone in a care facility. The story is set in Brooklyn, where Alice McDermott was born in 1953, and immersed in her family's Irish-American Catholicism. 
Marie's friend, Pegeen, lives next door with her Syrian family. Gertie Hansen was the best of best friends for many decades. Her brother Gabe was a priest for a year, but then quit and had a nervous breakdown. Dora Ryan married a person who, in fact, turned out to be a woman dressed like a man. There's death all around. Friends move away. People get sick and have accidents. The neighborhood declines and the apartments deteriorate. Yes, there's a first love as a teenager, and then also the long love of marriage to Tom. What's going on here is the quotidian life of someone, anyone, told in rich detail. Marie is an unremarkable woman with an unforgettable life. Call it the sacred ordinary. When Marie's father died, she glimpsed, quote, that the ordinary days were a veil, a swath of thin cloth that distorted the eye and obscured the power of sorrow and grief. Or again, the morning after her honeymoon, she awakens to familiar urban sounds and says, a disappointing sense of an ordinary day. Even here in the lovely hotel, an ordinary day simply going on. But that's all anyone has, McDermott seems to say. And life can be very good indeed with its mysterious mixture of joys and sorrow. Alice McDermott. The title, Someone, a novel from 2013. For film this week, I review a movie called Dirty Wars, 2013. Jeremy Scahill's film about America's covert military operations in undeclared war zones was nominated for Best Documentary for the 2014 Oscars. Scahill has been a war correspondent for over 10 years and is best known as a writer for the magazine The Nation and, more importantly, author of the bestseller book Blackwater, The Rise of the World's Most Powerful Mercenary Army, back in 2008. This film coincides with the 2013 publication of his new book by the same name, Dirty Wars. We usually think of wars that are officially declared and authorized by Congress, but the Joint Special Operations Command conducts covert wars in over 75 countries, almost none of which has congressional oversight, and in many cases, even their knowledge. Is it any wonder that when we massacre innocent civilians in drone strikes, that one of them tells Scahill, quote, we call them the American Taliban with their big beards and their cruelty. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. Once again, Dirty Wars. For poetry, we've posted another poem by Denise Levertov. 
Denise Levertov lived from 1923 to 1997. This poem is called Suspended. I had grasped God's garment in the void, but my hands slipped on the rich silk of it. The everlasting arms my sister liked to remember must have upheld my leaden weight from falling. Even so, for though I claw at empty air and feel nothing, no embrace, I have not plummeted. Denise Levertov, the title of the poem, Suspended. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 18th, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.